Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor, nearly doctor, but not quite doctor, LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. We do receive many emails where people ask uh, the question, are you a doctor yet? Have you finished yet? And, do you and think it's because they have a medical emergency <laughs> of some kind? Or? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, when I do earn the PhD. Uh, Everyone will know. Yeah, you'll know. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send it in smokescreen. I'm going to make sure that I mention it here. We're going to have our friend Brady change it'll be, the It'll be like a intro. carpet bombing of... of he is now a doctor. A hundred percent. Are you going to require everyone you know to call you doctor? My children? Absolutely. Everyone. Everyone well, that I've ever like met. When you fill out like a, like a reservation form and it has a place to put in a title? Yes. Okay. Also, in addition to that, in the class that I teach at the uh, University of Utah, uh, I'm going to, you know, I wear a regular, you know, suit and tie, whatever, except when I earn my PhD, then I'm going to come in scrubs. The, so, that next so you're class. Wear, you're so wearing medical doctor's clothes, even though you have a doctorate in business. It's the only way that people will know. Anyway, Garrett, we have a couple of emails to get to in the Phoebe Draper mailbag here. We're giving up on the Canadian mailbag? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so this is uh, this comes to us from Rex's Elders Quorum president. Uh, the subject is actually hashtag real Rex's elders quorum president. I think he was afraid that, that millions of people were listening. He thinks this is more popular than it is. Yeah. Had to hashtag that I'm the real thing. It, it is funny though. I feel like anyone impersonating him could have also just easily put a hashtag. Yeah, we didn't check this. Yeah, not at yeah. all. Um, yeah. Anyway, th claiming falsely to be uh, uh, Rex's elders quorum president. First, because the people cry out, I will report that Rex happily serves the Lord in many ways. He is one of my counselors. Actually, I have to say he's my favorite counselor among those who are fans of the Standard of Truth podcast. Well, that's very qualified, isn't it? It is. Uh, of my counselors who listen to you. Well, so why does another, so, yeah, why so, does another counselor listen to us? Well, I, I mean, well, the I real understand. question is Rex, Rex's Elders Quorum president, why, why did... Why did you call someone who wouldn't listen to our podcast? Where's the inspiration <laughs> of that? So he says, sadly, we are losing him to a reverse Oregon Trail event that is decimating organs, wards, and stakes. So, wait, people are being cured of dysentery? or well, I think they're driven back. Oh, oh, they're going they're back. They're going back. Yeah, yeah. They're going back He's east, going to Independence, yeah. I guess. Uh, well, this, you got to get beachfront property. <laughs> he said, well, this will likely be written about by future church historians when the U.S. West Coast slides off into the Pacific, taking only three active church members. That's very funny. Um, really, truly, Rick's is, uh, Rex is, is, the, is the best. Um, he, he goes on to say a lot of really nice and wonderful things. We'll skip here. those. We'll skip all of those things. Um, he does say, thinking about it now, you're uh, talking about the silliness, right? Saying that uh, we're trying to mark how far we right. go so Before that Rex listen. start listening. Before Rex's elders corn Rex listens to the whole thing. Right. But it's Rex's elders corn That's right. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, 
he well he, he talked about that saying that uh, you know he didn't realize you know that that Rex would enjoy it as much as I he see. does now Rex's elders corn president loves it always has I see but he didn't know that Rex he was giving wouldn't. a warning for other people that's right yeah um, and thinking about it now your silliness and non part two digressions have. <laughs> have to be an essential part of the attraction that keeps all of us listening. It's like gambling addiction that Richard doesn't really have. <laughs> gambling is exciting because of the anticipation of an event that fails four times out of five, right? Well, I wouldn't know, Rex's Elders Corn president. Yeah. I'd like to refer you to President Hinckley's April 2005 conference address on gambling. That being said, the early lines on who's going to win the NBA championship next year are really, really interesting. <laughs> um... Those uh, those rare times you stay on topic are like the big payouts. So we eagerly listen every to every left turn, even when it takes us onto a topic of dancing on cruise ships, because we have absolute faith in you. We know that eventually you're going to learn something, and it's going to be awesome, worth every minute. I didn't even stop listening to your podcast to go check out Truman Madsen's lectures. Uh, maybe I maybe I would have, but I didn't today because I listened to them probably twenty to thirty times in the late eighties and nineties. Truly priceless. By the way, we do have confirmed that Truman Madsen was an excellent dancer. Yeah. So remember, I asked Barney to, to let us know, yes, right. and and he, you know, and and Richard guessed it. He's like, look, I assume he was an amazing dancer. He was great at everything else. <laughs> Barney let us know. You know, oh, yeah. sent a message to the podcast and said, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredible dancer. So it just makes us feel worse about ourselves at this point. I mean, in fairness, Richard could dance if his back wasn't made out of a saltine cracker, I'm guessing. Uh, a yeah, soggy he, saltine he, cracker. Uh, he says a lot of just very wonderful things goes on. It, it, was, it was very funny to read his email. The email was very kind and very nice and uh, very faith-filled. And so uh, to Rex's Elders Quorum president, we say thank you very much for the kind email. We're glad that you like it and that you listen and that you share it with half of your Elder Scorn presidency. And, and to Rex, we're we're excited that you can stake out a nice big claim for us there when the time comes. If you're going to independence, <laughs> now's the time. Uh, thank you so much, Rex's Elder Scorn president. Gary, where are we at time-wise? I just want to... Uh, well, you don't need to market anymore because he said that he's fine with it. I feel like he's just saying that to be nice, and I feel like there's a lot more Rex's Elder Scorn presidents well, out maybe there. Maybe he can uh, he can gamble with that then. Yeah. Um, uh, so this next email comes to us from Emily. Uh, the subject is what the hell? Um, wow. Now, uh, I think with a question we, mark. Did, no, did we just have to? No, no, no. Are we now explicit? It's a place. When when did this happen? She said that her dad suggested that subject line. I have no doubt that her dad <laughs> suggested that. So subject she line. said the best. Hello to our favorite tour guys. So Emily went with us. On a tour, uh, on a tour, we've done one, but <laughs> on the tour that we've done, uh, tour's coming. Details on their way. We're going to try to do two next year. First full week of June, we're going uh, Gettysburg and then the New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio sites. And then second week in June, we're doing Missouri and Illinois. We wanted it to be a little later in the summer. Uh, yeah, yeah. For Miz that's why we figured we'll do Missouri as as close to you know a hundred degrees with humidity <laughs> that we can. That's what it's for everybody. <laughs> it's I want them to understand the misery that was Missouri. They don't get to go when yeah. it's April. Yeah, this the tour will be sponsored by Gold Bond medicated powder. <laughs> All right. Although the answer may not be simple, my question today is: If there is no hell, why does it get mentioned so much in the Book of Mormon? 
For example, 1 Nephi 14.3, And that great pit, which hath been digged for them by that great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell, gave that great pit, which hath been digged for the destruction of men, shall be filled by those who digged it unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God. Not the destruction of the soul, uh, not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of it into that hell, which hath no end. First Nephi fifteen twenty nine, And I said unto them that it was a representation of that awful hell, which the angel said unto me was prepared for the wicked. I would love your insights on this matter. Keep up the good work. I appreciate the time and effort put into the podcast as it deepens my understanding and knowledge and helps me to be able to better share the gospel with others. Emily. So Garrett, the question to you is, why are you calling Nephi a liar? I, I don't know that I've ever said the words. You've implied it. Uh, yeah. Well, I think only when I was reading the Isaiah chapters. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, this is a very good question. Um, because we have talked about on this uh, podcast, and I'm sure we talked about it a little bit on on the tour, perhaps. Or yeah, you, know, you, yeah. you you talking about um, Latter Day Saint Hell is one of your favorite topics. It really is one of my favorite topics, yeah. in part because it's one of the most unique doctrines that we have, and so we've we talk about it a lot. So if you're wondering what we're talking about right now, um, you know, in true helping Rex's Elders Quorum President fashion. You could go back and listen to the various podcasts we have on the vision, which is Doctrine and Covenant section 76, um, which will will kind of set the, the, the tone for that. But this is a, a, a very unique doctrine. And in fact, um, Latter-day Saint theology, when it comes to the afterlife and the pre-mortal life, are, they're two of the major things that set us apart as, as a religion uh, from other Christian denominations. I mean that we believe in an afterlife, okay, nearly all other Christians believe in, in that there's an afterlife of some kind for everybody. Uh, we were just talking the other day about one of my favorite doctrinal names of, of a false doctrine. We don't, we don't believe this, but mm. yeah, it, uh, of annihilationism, which is, it's got to be the coolest sounding doctrine there is. Yeah, so if you were to rank hells, you would probably put Mormon hell at the at the highest. It's the best. Well, I mean, uh, probably, uh, yeah. I mean, second Jehovah Witness hell. Jehovah's Witness hell is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not a bad place to be. Yeah, if, if it's Expl- good work explain, if you can get it. Yeah. So explain to I mean, what is what is Jehovah Witness hell? Well, yeah. Well, that's the doctrine of annihilationism, and that is so the way to the the problem for Christians um, is that they have immortal spirits. Right. I, I mean, some of you are thinking, no, I'm, I'm pretty happy that I have one. No, no, no. You have to listen. Listen to the logic here. Um, if God created you out of nothing, okay, so you didn't exist before God created you. And remember, all Christians believe that that creation took place either when you were conceived or at some point before you were born or when you were born, but always in the process of the pregnancy, Okay. There literally is no pre-mortal life for any other Christian. No Christian believes that. Now, if you want to get super technical, you know, uh, you know, right now we have a Latter-day Saint, you know, speed dialing the podcast on the number that doesn't exist, yeah. saying, what about Jeremiah before I formed thee in thy mother's womb? I knew thee. Because that's what we would say on our missions because right. because we weren't trained in theology. Um, and so we didn't know, you know, what other people thought about that. And 
And and frankly, the response from a Christian to that scripture is not that, oh, that there's a pre-mortal life. It's that of course God I'm always. God. I know everything. So yeah, I knew you before I created you because I created you. You know what I mean? Like it it doesn't it's not the uh it's not the Mike Tyson uppercut of pre-mortal life doctrine that we think that it is. And I'm talking about Mike Tyson's punch out. Right. Right. When you get to the end and he does the uppercut one time, but he like, kind of flashes a little bit before he does. Yeah. I, well, I never got that far. I ball always bowl. got not. Did ball bull stop well, me? Or I, is it I, Soda Popinski? <laughs> <laughs> it was Sandman. I never got past oh, Sandman. Sandman was tough. That's what yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. Well, he was, he was from Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, you I'm know what? Like, I'm going to pull up uh, yeah. some stats on uh, Mike Tyson's punch out right now. To find out. Yeah. You know what? Let's let's do something. I can tell different. you right now where Soto Popinski's from. Yeah, yeah. So Russia. So so I have an immortal spirit, immortal soul. This is great if I'm going to heaven, but less so. Right. So if so I'm that, born in China the, in 1000 AD. Yeah, exactly. Or literally anywhere. Or in China today. I mean, the, <laughs> the reality is, if I'm, if if God creates me out of nothing, but in creating me out of nothing, creates me with an immortal soul then you deal with the problem that goes all the way back to Luther and Calvin, right? If, if God knows everything, which of course all Christians believe God knows everything, and God created me out of nothing, then that means when God created me, however many years ago, right? If I'm, if I'm 45, you know, I, God created me 45 years ago. That means that when God created me 45 years ago, he knew at the moment he created me, that I would never have faith in Jesus. I guess in my case, in the real Jesus, in the right Jesus, right? And so he knew at the moment of creation that I would be condemned to hell forever, right? So then it kind of begs the question, why did God create me? Well, first of all, you can ask the first question, why did God create me at all? If he knew that I was going to burn in hell for billions upon billions of, and for eternity, why did he create me? Could he have, if you say he, he didn't know that, then he's not all powerful. If you say he could have decided not to create me, you know, again, he's, he's all powerful. So he, he could stop me from burning in hell, but he doesn't. And then you have to ask the question, why? Now, of course, the Christian answer to that would be, well, because you're a profligate sinner and you're going to burn in hell by your own merits. And, you know, how dare you question the great wisdom of God? Now, that's great when you're trying to win an argument, when, you know, you're like trying to be God's hype man. But it's not actually that great when you get down into the deeper level of it. God already knew that I wasn't going to be worshiping the right Jesus. He already knew that. So why, when he created me, did he give me an immortal soul? Again, if God is all merciful, God is all kind, God is all loving, then why would he create me out of nothing? So he didn't, he didn't have to make me, he didn't have to do anything. But he did. And knowing that I would burn in hell for trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years, that I would have this mere speck of mortal existence and then the remainder, worlds without end, I would suffer interminably in hell. Why did he create me at all? Now, yeah, you can use some word salad stuff and say things like, well, it's glory of God. 
Yeah, that's that's yeah. the go-to. Yeah, it's, it's great glory of God. What a, what a wonderful what a wonderful glory. I mean, I don't know how many trillion years you are into burning in hell before you say, you know what? Couldn't God have brought Himself glory? I don't know. I think I think in a tr- way that wasn't me burning in hell for a trillion years. I feel like it wouldn't take that long for you to turn on Him. You know, right? So it wouldn't take a trillion like, years. Yeah, day two, you're like, you know what? I'm not. It would, I'm it not- would be kind of like uh, what happens when they close one of the windows at your local DMV. <laughs> Right, you you've been, really wait, you've been waiting for an hour. You've been waiting for an hour. They, they have only two lanes open, and then they close the second lane. Well, so th- that's actually one of the beauties of um, Jehovah Witness trying to answer this this problem. Right? It's like, boy, this right, seems so, pretty unfair. So it's a pretty big problem, right? Because what God's all powerful, and you can't change that. So you can't change the fact that God's all powerful. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is not everyone is saved. Okay, I don't think I can change that either, right? Because it, it sure seems like not everyone is saved. Yeah, pretty clear in the Bible. Right, gotta... right. It seems like only some people are going to heaven. So so if, if, if God's all-powerful and not everybody is saved, you can't see my fingers I'm holding up. We should really do a video cast of this we just should. so people could mock it. Um, then I really only have one other, one other piece of, of the puzzle that I can move around the board, right? If God's all-powerful and not everyone is saved, then the other part of the puzzle I can examine is, well, well, the only reason someone burns in hell forever is because they have an immortal soul. So what if they don't have an immortal soul? Or, or they do on the positive side, but not on the negative side. Well, and that's – so that is the – uh, the, the the doctrine of annihilation, at least as Jehovah's Witnesses teach it. But, I mean, there's lots of variations on this. And that is that you don't really have an immortal soul, right? So you, what you have is the breath of life, that God breathed the breath of life into you, so like this power of God essentially animating you. And that's what gives you motion. That's what makes you who you are. It's, it's what gives you... It's what gives you you a, a, a you know a spirit, but if, for lack of a better term, they wouldn't use that term. And those who die, worshiping God properly, well, they are going to be resurrected, and in that resurrection, they are uh, going to inhabit the earth, uh, 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 an earth that's re- renewed into paradise. It'll be like the Garden of Eden, and they're going to live there forever. So you're going to live in a Garden of Eden, Paradise, Earth for, for all the rest of time if, if you were righteous. Those who were not righteous, the lights just go out. The breath of life is taken out of them when they die, and, and that's it. There, there isn't a hell. There's just non-existence, which, of course, those of you who do know your Book of Mormon, and I'm guessing Emily does since she was just quoting it to us as she condemned me, uh, that, that, you know, this is exactly what sinners in the Book of Mormon on a couple of occasions wish, you know, that, that, that the rocks could fall on them and hide their sins, that they, they, they would cease to exist both body and spirit rather than face their God, right? So it is an interesting way of trying to get around this, what appears to be a paradox. It appears to be a paradox that, that God is all-loving, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, Literally, almost everyone he creates is going to burn in hell forever. So you have a couple of exceptions then. Um, 
but then the vast majority of the rest of Protestants and Catholics, is it a photo finish for third or does someone? Well, I mean, at, a, least, at, at least, at uh, least. Uh, Cause they do have their immortal soul exists for the rest of the, of yeah, the group. Exactly. The majority for, of Christianity. For, for, and, and in fairness to the rest of other Christians, you would find that most Christian theologians would, you know, at best say that Jehovah's witnesses are radical Christians and right. at worst would say they're not. Right. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not one of those people. I'm just saying what what a, you know, I, I probably don't have to tell any Jehovah's Witnesses listening. We're huge in Ohio. Yeah, with we, their, do we have yeah. a, yeah. It's huge in, in New York, yeah, huge in uh, yeah, Florida. Yeah. Um, it, I don't have to tell any Jehovah's Witnesses listening that, that other Christians sometimes accuse them of not being a Christian. Yes. Yeah, just very, like, I don't have to tell any Latter-day Saints listening that... You, you may find it surprised that at, at times other Christians will question your belief in Jesus. Yeah, so it's a standard belief among Christians that hell is uh, the place of everyone who does not accept Jesus. Now, of course, in Catholicism, there's more things than just accepting Jesus. There's uh, the, the sacraments that need to be performed. Um, but but still, those sacraments are are, you know, they are dependent on whether or not someone accepts Jesus. So that that's the reason why this becomes kind of an issue. It, it becomes a problem because once you say that you have to have faith in Jesus in order to be saved, the reality is almost no one who's ever lived on earth in the history of the world or even today, percentage-wise, has faith in Jesus. So that means almost everyone's going to hell. So it kind of matters a lot then what hell is like and who goes there because almost everyone's going there. And this is the reason why we bring this up on the podcast a couple of times because Latter-day Saints are very often accused of believing that only Mormons go to heaven. It, it's very, you Mormons think the only Mormons, I love it, it's always Missouri. Says, always. Yeah. No, well, yeah. it looks like uh, headquarters are in Warwick, New York. Oh, Jehovah how about Miss. that? Yeah. yeah. So, um, which is close to both Ohio and Florida. Do you so want to maybe uh, send, uh, uh, you know, some literature out for our listeners? Or? So, yeah. So they, apparently they chose New York um, to escape, obviously, high taxes. So that's good for them. Well, they're not paying taxes anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's why you got to be a religion. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, so this 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 is one of the more radical aspects of Latter-day Saint theology. And, and as we've talked about with the vision and with Joseph Smith and Dr. Hammond section 76, it's such a radical part of Latter-day Saint theology that it causes people to leave the church. Now, if you get into a high theological discussion with, you know, a theologian from another religion, a pastor or something like that, this actually is a topic that can come up that Latter-day Saints have a false belief in the afterlife. It's not just as a Latter-day Saint would think that because we think there's three different degrees of glory. The idea that there's different levels of salvation, other Christians have postulated those kinds of things because, you know, the, the Lord does say that people are going to be rewarded according to their works. Now, usually they, they take that in the form of, you know, people who've done better works are going to have more crowns to throw at the feet of Jesus for eternity, which I, I mean, I don't know if there's like a fire sale on crowns at the Celestial Kingdom Walmart or whatever, whatever you need to be able to throw more crowns. But at any rate, you'll have, you'll have a better ability to glory Jesus as you worship him forever because of the works that you perform. Um, so it, that's not as radical. Now, of course, 
what we claim uh, that you can be because of the celestial glory, that you can become like God. Now that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's a real problem for Christians. That's probably for another podcast uh, because we want to be able to answer Emily's question and also have this make the air. Yeah, we'll do that uh, when we get to King Follett's sermon. Yeah, we promised Brady, um, I think probably three years ago we'd do that. Before we started. Yeah. He, he actually helped us to start this by purchasing equipment, and it was all conditional on doing those episodes. Yeah, and in fact, I think in. he said, he said, I'll get a guy to do the opening spot for your podcast if you do King Follett's sermon. And then we lied and said, well, no, we we'll said, do the, it. Yeah, we, we had every intention, and yeah. we have 38 seasons and well, three I feel down, like I mean, then maybe the podcast is very reflective then of, of our own journey to the next life, right? We had every good intention. Yeah. We're just a, still not going to do it's it. It's a Travis Tritt song. Yeah, right. We, you know, we've been referencing Travis Tritt a lot lately. I've on been on pod. a, yeah, I've been on a kick. A little Travis Tritt kick. Yeah. yeah. Is it the hair? It is. It is there. Okay. Well, uh, I'm starting to look more and more like him every day. What if, what if Travis Tritt was listening? <laughs> yeah. We're huge in the South. Huge yeah. We, in Texas. We have, if huge Travis, Travis Tritt, Tritt, if you're listening, huge. I need you to email in. And let us know what your thoughts are on hell, um, which is probably going to be listening to your podcast. So the, the the question arises because we we use this term hell. So as I said, DNC 76, and again, you can go listen to that podcast to get a lot more details on it. But the part of it that's very radical is that Joseph Smith teaches that in fact, eternal hell doesn't exist. That everyone, save very few exceptions, everyone was eventually going to be resurrected. And once they were resurrected, they would go to a kingdom of glory. Now, again, most Christians believe that everyone's going to be resurrected. It, it becomes kind of a weird doctrine for Christians because uh, for, for Protestants who believe that people immediately go to heaven or hell the moment they die— it's kind of a weird doctrine, right? Because you, you know, I'm already burning in hell. And then, but now you've then got your God, flesh like, to melt well, that, off. But God has to pull me out of hell to resurrect me yeah. so they can put me back into hell Yeah. so that I can I can suffer more. Yeah, because now you have, a, you have a body. Right. Well, what was going on before? Well, I was just, you know. It was like more practice s- hell? It was psychological. It was like, It was just know, like, it was like training wheels hell? Yeah, they got like one swinging light bulb and they're interrogating you. And just right, get they're really, like, get I know about the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. He already told me about it. And then, then you get the body, then it's burnt off and- And then regenerated so and then burnt off again. again. Yeah, okay. Still, you can see kind of the problem, right? Because we tell someone hell's the most exquisite pain you could ever possibly f- experience. And then it's, it's even worse than that after you get your body back. It's like, well, so before it's- it's actually not the worst that you could possibly experience, right? Yeah. Well, it's the anticipation of it being worse. I see. Yes. Maybe you should be a Protestant minister. Maybe I should be. Yeah. I think you'd do well. Me and Travis Tritt. You and Travis Tritt. In fact, we call it Travis Tritt Ministries. You know what? I like that. Not endorsed by Travis Tritt. i to get Tritt. Brady to register that uh, Brady, can, we're going to need another, we're gonna need another <laughs> domain name. We'll get Kyle right on that. Um, so this, this belief that's so radical is that Joseph Smith teaching that even the people that are sinners, even the people that are wicked, they are eventually going to be resurrected and and obtain a kingdom of glory. And again, for modern Latter-day Saints, we often try to talk about the celestial kingdom like it's some kind of like, you know, 
Like it's also hell, right? Like, oh yeah, you'll be so miserable when you go to the Telestial Kingdom. It'll just be horror all day long, you know, pitchforks everywhere. And yet that's not how Joseph Smith teaches it. He teaches that it's a kingdom of bliss, that it's a kingdom of happiness, that it's a kingdom of such great glory that you can't possibly comprehend it, that God would have to open the heavens and show it to you for you to understand the glory of this kingdom. Again, I'm not encouraging anyone to go there, but the point is that is very different, very, very different than the belief that you'll be writhing in an eternal hell forever. And so the question that Emily's, you know, asking is, well, you know, hell does sound like it's pretty terrible in the Book of Mormon. It also sounds pretty terrible in, in, in the Bible. And it also kind of sounds like it's forever in all of those places. So how do we reconcile the two? And, and, and really, the reality is the reconciliation comes from understanding that, yes, we, like Protestants and Catholics, use the term hell to talk about the place of suffering that unrepentant sinners go to after they, after they die. And really for the early church, we're using the same term as well. We're, even today, you still hear people use the term hell. So it's not to say that we don't have hell in our theology. The the reality of the Latter-day Saint doctrine, the difference is that what we think hell is, is very different. And this can be demonstrated through uh, both some revelations as well as some sermons that Joseph Smith teaches. But uh, let's let's start with, even before there is a church, even before there is a church, Doctrine Covenant Section 19. Okay, so, so here we have um, uh, the Savior speaking to Joseph Smith uh, in, in this section. Uh, well, speaking through Joseph Smith to, to Martin Harris, Martin Harris yeah. right? Who has uh, agreed to pay for the printing of the Book of Mormon, and then he got. It's like uh, when the check comes, he got alligator arms. Yeah, it was. It was. It was like, no, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. No, look, guys, I'm good for it. I promise, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. Three thousand dollars. I mean, hold on. Like, Wh- where's my billfold? Yeah, yeah. Should we? Ch- oh, oh, I left it. You know. <laughs> I sent a Venmo earlier, Joseph. I just can't <laughs> find it. So, so in this in this section, there there's a couple of parts where we where we learn a lot of, of different things. Um, one is how great the suffering is, right? So, right. Before- so, so we're not trying to say that people who don't repent of their sins aren't going to suffer. They are going to suffer, as the Lord makes clear here in, in DNC 19. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they then they must suffer even as I, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit, and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Uh, we also learn, though, in that, in that same section, that this idea of forever punishment isn't quite i've often thunder, thought what must they have thought is that they were when they were receiving this right because their understanding of hell at that time is it's it's an eternal forever thing but in verses 10 11 and 12 for behold the mystery of godliness how great it is for behold i am endless and the punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment for endless is my name wherefore eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment is God's punishment. So this first kind of idea of 
endless punishment doesn't mean punishment forever. It means God's punishment. Because God is endless. Now, that is not the way that it's being interpreted by other Christians. So it is interesting that DNC 19 is both condemning uh, Martin Harris for the fact that he he needs to pay the debt that thou hast contracted with the printer, right? And, and, and give up your land, even all of your lands for the printing of the Book of Mormon. He's told very directly what he needs to do. But also at the same time as having this doctrine taught to him that it doesn't necessarily mean actual suffering forever because it is suffering that is decreed by God. And so therefore the suffering is, is, is endless because God is endless. Now let's put that into a, I know I've quoted this before, but just to, to put it a little bit in context for the time, what are other Christians thinking about hell at the time? Um, Jonathan Edwards and his great uh, sermon reflects this very Calvinist idea of hell. Um, and this is what, what he says after, of course, saying God hates you. So that's how, you know. He abhors God, you. God abhors you. Well, I don't, you can look up the word abhor. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not a friendly kind of a thought, right? If you... If any of you were like, oh, you know, Richard, I abhor that guy. You wouldn't. We get a lot of those emails. Most of our emails start with dot, dot, dot. I abhor Richard. It's very, it's, it's a surprise how many we get actually. Yeah. It's, I think it's because you don't have your PhD yet. That's why. I'm yeah. so close. Yeah, I'm you, not close. If you get the PhD in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Then the abhorrence turns to mild. Tolerance? No, well, no. I'd still say distaste. But uh, yeah. Uh -huh. I'll accept yeah. that over abhorring. Yeah, abhorring is, I mean, yeah, it's it's a rough word. Anyway, God abhors you. He hates you, right? Well, what is what does Jonathan Edwards mean by that? God hates sin. You're a sinner. You know, that's A plus B equals yeah. right. I mean it's a geometric proof. It exactly. Makes a lot of sense. If, if 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 God hates sin, you are a sinner, then God hates you. Right? Because you are you are you know, a, a vessel filled with sin. As he goes on to say, um, Oh sinner, consider the fearful danger that you are in. It is the great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And then as he talks about what hell is like, this is how he describes it. It would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness of and wrath of Almighty God for one moment, but you must suffer it for all eternity. There will be no end to this exquisite, horrible misery. When you look forward, you will see a long forever, a boundless duration before you, which will swallow up your thoughts and amaze your soul. And you will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance, any end, any mitigation, any rest at all. You will know certainly that you must wear out long ages, millions of millions of ages in wrestling with this almighty merciless vengeance. And then, when you have done so, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, 
you will know that that is all but a point to what remains so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Now that, that's, that's, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably not the way to, you know, it's not the way to start Sunday was that, school. Was that at yeah. Alvin's funeral or? Something similar. I mean, <laughs> he, Jonathan Edwards obviously long, long dead. Richard's making a reference to the fact that at Alvin's funeral, the, the minister proclaimed, which again, seems like it's a, it's a rough way to say we're dearly departed. Uh, he proclaims that Alvin's clearly not saved and burning in hell. And his evidence for that is Alvin was never baptized. Now, Presbyterians don't believe you have to be baptized to be saved. But Alvin's a Christian living in a Christian land. Jesus commanded his believers to be baptized. So how could someone in their 20s who had been given the gift of faith by God or the the true gift of saving faith and the grace of God. If he had been saved, he would have. Anyone who'd been given the gift of faith would have done what Jesus asked and asked to be baptized. The baptism doesn't save you, but the baptism is a sign that God has given you the gift of faith. And that you are saved. And that therefore you were always saved. In, in, right. in 19th century Presbyterian theology where it's, it, it's a predestined salvation that God chose to give you the gift of faith before he ever created you. And if you live into your twenties, you know, which is like living into your eighties for us, it's not that bad, but still, I mean, you live into your twenties and you still have never asked to be baptized, even though Jesus commanded it. Well then, I mean, how much grace must you have, right? You clearly aren't filled with the grace of Jesus because if you were, you would have said, I need to be baptized. Now, yeah, that's not exactly what Lucy Mack wants to hear as she's grieving her her oldest child's death, right? But um, that's a pretty stark difference. So, so I think Emily, a, a big part of answering your question is it, it's not that we don't believe people will suffer for their sins. It's that the the Christian world believes that that suffering, that essential to that suffering, is that it's forever. Not a million years, not a billion years, not ages upon ages. It's forever. After every tomorrow, there's another tomorrow where you are burning in hell. There's never an end to it. And, And again, that's, you know, as we started the podcast, that's the reason why some theologians, some other Christian thinkers have tried to find ways to get around that. Because the very eternality of hell is such that it calls into question the omnibenevolence of God. If God is all good, then how is it that literally almost every single person he created is going to burn in hell? Now, look, I know. That according to Christian theology, there are thousands, tens of thousands, millions of Christians that are going to heaven. That's great. What about the other 85% of the people God created? Because we're not talking about, oh man, they're going to be so disappointed that they missed the Taylor Swift concert. We're talking about them writhing in agony, in inexplicable suffering forever. Not a week. 
not 200 years, not a million years, forever. And so that that is the stark difference between what Joseph Smith is going to have revealed to him. And it's the reason why, as we've talked about, that people leave the church. As George A. Smith will explain that the missionary who, who baptizes him and his family, Joseph Wakefield, who's one of the great early missionaries in the church, he is going to apostatize over the vision, over Doctrine and Covenant section 76. And, you know, we often go to, to DNC 76. I mean, usually we go there to read the wonderful testimony that, that Joseph gives. And then on our own, we go there to see whether or not we're going to be making the celestial or the terrestrial kingdom. Like, what do you think valiant in a testimony of Jesus means? You know, I mean, that kind of stuff. But, but what was super radical about this doctrine at the time it was received is, is not, I mean, the testimony, of course, is still beautiful. It, it, it's not that there's a celestial kingdom or, or a better way to describe heaven. I mean, there's only so many ways you can describe heaven, right? I mean, it's amazing. It's like... It's super amazing. Now, of course, Latter-day Saints are going to come to understand that heaven isn't just about throwing crowns at God's feet, right? That, that, that life is about a progression to becoming more like God. Um, and that is, that's the ultimate end of, of exaltation. But it's the other end of that spectrum that is going to cause apostasy. Now, Later in Joseph's ministry, when he starts to really explain what exaltation entails and how it is that God came to be God, which is the most blasphemous thing anyone can possibly say, so all of our Christian friends listening, sorry, um, but it's still true, uh, that, 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 that in fact God came to be God and that, that thereby there is a way that, that others can come to be like him. Joseph's going to unpack that. Now, that's going to cause people to apostatize as well on the other end. But here early in his ministry, in 1832, the apostasy is much more coming from the fact that on the low end, on, on what happens to the evil people is so starkly different from anything else that's being taught. If you go to Doctrine and Covenants section 76, talking about the celestial world, it says, for these are they who are of Paul and of Apollos and of Cephas. These are they who say that they are some of one and some of another, some of Christ and some of John and some of Moses and some of Elias and some of Isaiah uh, and some of Enoch, but received not the gospel, neither the testimony of Jesus, neither the prophets, neither the everlasting covenant. Last of all, these are all they who will not be gathered with the saints to be caught up under the church of the firstborn and received into the cloud. These are they who are liars and sorcerers and adulterers and whoremongers and whosoever loves and makes a lie. These are they who suffer the wrath of God on earth. These are they who suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. These are they who are cast down to hell. So there it is again, Emily, right? We're talking about the, the, the sinners of all sinners. They're going to hell and suffer the wrath of Almighty God. Now, if that is where the revelation ended, we'd all be, well, we wouldn't be fine with the rest of Christianity. We, we still have some other issues. I mean, the Book of Mormon still exists and, and 
Well, all of our other doctrines, but I mean, but this, at least on the topic of, of, of heaven and hell, if that's where verse 106 of section 76 ended, that these are they who are cast into hell and suffer the wrath of Almighty God, we'd be pretty similar to John Calvin and, and, and Jonathan Edwards. The problem is the very next word, and, and that word is, uh, it, it breaks with Orthodox Christianity. And that is, uh, as it reads, they'll suffer the wrath of Almighty God until. Now, what we just read from Jonathan Edwards, there wasn't an until, you'll notice, right? It was, in fact, the whole point of his repetition was, there isn't an until. It would be dreadful to suffer this for one moment, but you have to suffer it for eternity. So he, he's not disagreeing that the suffering is bad for a moment. I and mean, we also believe the suffering is bad for a moment. How great you know not. But Joseph is receiving this revelation that even the vilest of sinners, even the people who are horrible sinners, they are going to eventually be taken out of hell. So when, when we talk about hell not existing, it's not that we, we're saying that hell doesn't exist at all. What we're saying is our definition of hell is so different from the Christian definition of hell that it's not actually very helpful to use it, certainly in mixed company, right? If you're with your Baptist friend and you're talking about theology and he says hell and you say hell, you know, I know you're watching a, a, a Baylor-BYU football game and there was two turnovers on back-to-back plays or something like that. Um, yeah, unless unless it's preceded by what the, then you're not talking about the same right, thing. Right, you're, you're not talking about the same thing. And, and that matters because Christians believe hell, the definition of it is a place of literal eternal suffering, not, not temporary suffering. The whole point of hell is that it's forever. So it's not just a modification on the definition of hell, right? When a Latter-day Saint says, oh yeah, well, we believe in suffering. No, we believe in hell. It, 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 it's kind of similar to uh, when Latter-day Saints talk about other doctrines, right? I mean, um, a Latter-day Saint might say, well, no, no, we believe you have, to, you have to accept Jesus to be saved. It's just, we believe you can accept him in the next life. A Christian would respond that it's literally the exact uh, exact opposite point of the entire thing. We believe the whole point is you have to accept Jesus in this life. And a lot of saints like, well, I mean, or next life, or you know, or whenever. I mean, I mean, the the breadth of a Latter Day Saint, a Latter Day Saint's belief in humanity being saved, it it dwarfs Christian belief, right? I mean, a Latter Day Saint can with all faith and fervor, not just with a little hope and a twinkle in their eye, say, you know, that, that, that a Hindu is going to heaven, that Muslims are going to heaven, that not, not like, well, maybe they somehow accepted Jesus right before they died and that's why they're going to heaven. We believe not only that everyone's going to have the opportunity to be exalted. So that, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation, but that everyone's going to, even the people who don't accept Jesus, their suffering is not going to be forever. 
That's why there's such a definitional difference. Now, so is so there's a couple of spaces, a couple of uh, verses in section 76. I mean, uh, verse 84. These are they that are thrust down to hell. These yep. are they that shall not be redeemed from the devil until the uh, last resurrection. We, until keep throw, we keep throwing these untils the around. The Lord, even even Christ, the Lamb, has finished His work. So, does Joseph Smith expand on this then uh, on this idea? You know, Nauvoo period a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, he he certainly is going to expand that. So so again, what's the theology? It's just so everyone's clear. Because I, I assume that everyone listening to our podcast is right on the edge of just committing all kinds of acts of mayhem. <laughs> they're just waiting, uh, waiting what you have to say, what Joseph Smith had to say. Right, well, so they're, they're, they're on the edge. Like, so wait a minute, I'm going to heaven no matter what I do. And, you know, mayhem ensues, right? It, 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 the, the key importance is that while everyone is going to suffer for the sins that they don't repent for, and according to DNC 19, it is how great a suffering you know, you know not, how horrible it is. That by the end of the millennium, okay, so so look, if you're a pretty vile sinner, you you are going to hell for at least a thousand years, right? Or we might call it spirit prison, right? But the reality is that you are suffering for your sins for a certain amount of time. And and it's gonna be at least a thousand years if it's the end of the millennium, and we we haven't started the millennium yet. What Unless you know when the fourth feather, and yeah, for those of you following the right second person, horn, yeah, for those of you following the right person on YouTube and can track the, you know, where the the next solar eclipse takes place, and then you'll know when Jesus is coming. But for those of us who are you know waiting for actual prophets to tell us, uh, you don't really know when uh, you know how how long that's going to be. But at, at minimum, it's a thousand years, right? If it's the very end of the millennium, if if Jesus were to come tomorrow, and so there is suffering. But now compare a thousand years to infinity. Uh, yeah, to trillions upon trillions upon trillions of years. And and I think that's the reason why we sometimes then try to push hell into the celestial kingdom, right? Even though it's a kingdom of glory, we we try to we try to like, oh okay, so, so you won't suffer for forever in hell, but but then when you get resurrected, like then you're gonna suffer. I understand why. I mean, I understand why we want there to be an eternal, which is kind of weird, right? Because oh, we want there to a, be we want a there thousand to be, years of suffering seems like a lot. Well, we want there to be consequences for yeah, a thousand years. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so if somebody's really bad, I, I mean, people use. I mean, in in Christ, in the history of Christianity, they use hell as the stick to say, "Hey, be a better." person. Right. And so we're Jesus. worried that we don't have a big stick anymore. That's right. But God's also dangling the carrot, or in this case, probably like a Twinkie. I mean, it's much better than a carrot, right? Of, of actual eternal progression. That That's not something that a Christian is, is thinking about heaven, right? For a Christian, heaven is being able to be in the presence of Jesus. And that will be an all-encompassing love a feeling that is so great and so marvelous that it is it is bliss and it will last forever. You will be praising Jesus, adoring him forever. We we believe that. We just believe that there's more to it than that. And that that's where exaltation comes in. That's probably for another podcast. Um, when 
Uh, Joseph, uh, let me finish uh, 106. Uh, he says, you know, that they will, uh, DNC 76, 106. They'll suffer the wrath of all when it got until the fullness of times when Christ shall have subdued all enemies under his feet and shall have perfected his work. So that's the time that comes when, when everyone will be resurrected. Now, of course, there are some exceptions and Joseph will speak to those exceptions, those who are sons of perdition, who will be resurrected but will not go to a kingdom of glory. At the same time, Joseph makes it very clear that becoming a son of perdition isn't the same thing as like adding a little bit of, you know, lead weights into your flour barrel that you're then selling to somebody like, no, look, it weighs 40 pounds. I mean, that, that that's bad and that's a sin. I'm not encouraging anyone who's selling flour by the barrel <laughs> listening to our podcast to try to get with away the 19th with the 19th century <clears throat> well, yeah, weight system. Yeah, Correct. I mean, it's not digital. It's like, oh, I put some lead weights in it. And now, now, the lead weights, of course, cost more than the flour does. So I don't know how you get away with that. You'd have, to get the, you'd have to get the weights back out of the flour before someone bought it. Clearly, I need to think more about how to defraud people in my flour barrel. I mean, we've been glutting ourselves so long on the premium content that I think, we, I think it's gone to our heads to where now we, we think we can just we can put lead weights in everything. But... So Joseph does expand on this several times. Um, now, you realize that teaching people that eternal hell doesn't exist, not only does that cause people to apostatize, it also causes people on the other end of the spectrum to, you know, maybe take things a little bit too lightly, right? Um, and so Joseph is going to have to clarify some things. And one of the points of, of doctrine that he clarifies multiple times is that there are some sins that are far more grievous than others. Um, in a sermon that he's going to give in May of 1841, um, he's going to say there are three independent principles, the spirit of God, the spirit of man, and the spirit of the devil. All men have power to resist the devil. They who have tabernacles have power over those who have not. The doctrine of eternal judgment, Acts chapter 2, 41, um, Peter preached, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But in Acts 3, he says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come and he shall send Jesus and remission of sins by baptism was not preached to murderers. So he's making the distinction that the difference is that the people in Acts chapter 2 had not committed murder. And in Acts chapter 3, some of them had. And so that's the reason why he didn't say, you know, it's not can any man forbid water that they might be baptized. It's uh, you guys need to hope that, uh, you know, when... The times of of refreshing come or redemption um, that you'll be saved. All the priests, this is back to Joseph. This isn't me. Let me go back to Joseph. So make a very clear transition. All the priests in Christendom might pray for the murderer on the scaffold forever, but could not avail so much as a gnat towards their forgiveness. There is no forgiveness for murderers. They will have to wait until the times of redemption shall come, and that in hell. So, look, Emily, Joseph is also using the term hell to describe this place of suffering that, that the, the worst of sinners are going to go to. 
Peter had the keys of eternal judgment. And he saw this again, Joseph. I, I really need to say this is Joseph before I start talking. You're yet. afraid people are going to confuse things you say with things that he says? That's your big concern? What I'm most concerned with is that people will confuse something that I, I say and with... say, Joseph said that? Yeah, yeah okay. I'd rather. I see. Yeah, it's more about not hurting Joseph than <laughs> it is about helping me. <laughs> uh, I you're right. Most people will very clearly like, uh, be like, "Is like hey, Garrett, we, hey, we thanks, see the difference. Gar- thanks for the heads up. <laughs> Never have I confused you with, I haven't even confused you with Truman Madsen yet, let alone Joseph Smith. Anyway, um, he, he, again, Joseph says, Peter had the keys of eternal judgment and he saw David in hell and knew for what reason and that David would have to remain there until the resurrection at the coming of Christ. So, that apparently that suffering at least has to last until the resurrection and the, and the, and the coming of Christ for David. Um, that's not the only place that Joseph is going to going to talk about this. He, he's going to bring this up several times. And it's part of the reason why he highlights the necessity of ordinances. That essentially ordinances are what move people from, from hell. Right, that ordinances are essential to not be in the state of eternal suffering. Um, ordinances were, this is uh, uh, from jo- June 11th of 1843, Joseph Smith preaching. I'm again, I'm about to quote Joseph Smith again, just so everyone knows. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, yeah. Unless you thought I had said something from June of 1843, which I, which I haven't. Uh, at least uh, not, not until, yet. Not yet, but I, but it's coming. It's coming. As as my power expands, as the tens and almost tens more of people listening, I will soon project myself back into history, uh, and I will say these things. But um, uh, ordinances were, were instituted in heaven before the foundation of the world for the salvation of man, not to be altered. Not to be changed. All must be saved upon the same principle. That is only your opinion, sir, say sectarians. When a man will go to hell, it is more than my meat and drink to help them do as they want to. Where there is no change of priesthood, there is no change of ordinances, says Paul. If God has not changed the ordinances and priesthood, how will ye sectarians? If he has, where has he revealed it? Have ye turned revelators? Then why deny it? So Joseph's saying, look, in the Bible, Jesus is telling people to get baptized. And now you have people today saying that baptism is not essential. And Joseph's saying, well, I guess you guys do receive revelation then because Jesus said you had to get baptized and you're saying that you don't. So you don't believe in revelation except you somehow received a revelation. I mean, I don't know that Joseph would say it as sarcastically as, as I just did. Like, sounds like he kind of did. Okay, maybe he did. All right. I mean, well, this is Willard Richards. Yeah. This is Willard Richards recording it, so maybe Willard Richards is, you know, he's throwing a few barbs <laughs> in. I don't know. I, I don't know how, how it goes. Uh, men have thought many things inscrutable in the last days that he should raise the dead. Things have been hid from the foundation of the world to be revealed to babes in the last days. So he's going to go on and talk about the resurrection. There are many, there are a great many wise men and women too in our midst, too wise to be taught, and they must die in their ignorance. And in the resurrection, they will find their mistake. Many seal up the door to heaven by saying, uh, "So far, God may reveal." 
and I will believe, heirs of God, and upon the same laws, ordinances, etc., of Jesus Christ, and he who will not have it, all will come short of that glory, if not of the whole ordinance of, sorry, then it goes, cuts to the ordinance of baptism. God decreed before the foundation of the world that this baptism should be performed in a house prepared for the purpose. Now, in this same sermon, Joseph is going to uh, expound a little more about the idea of paradise. Uh, again, this is one of the questions of what happens when people, when they die, right? Uh, the, the New Testament has this conversation about the thief on the cross, right? And and the, the thief on the cross confesses Jesus, remember me, Lord, when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And that's the foundation of many uh, Protestant Christians saying that all you have to do is confess with your mouth Jesus, and that that is what saves you. And Joseph's trying to make the point, no, baptism is still essential. So one of the, one of the interesting aspects of this conversation about the lack of the eternality of hell uh, is Joseph placing that against the doctrine of baptism for the dead. That baptism is this essential part of what moves people from this suffering. And so he's going to talk about the, the doctrine of paradise. He says, paradise is a modern word. It don't answer to the original word used by Jesus. That's that's how Willard Richard wrote it, okay? He said, don't answer to. I, said, I mean, maybe that's how Joseph said it. I don't know. Um, find the origin of paradise. Find a needle in a haymow. Here is a chance for ye battle, you learned men, said Jesus, for there is not time to investigate the matter. For this day you will be with me in the world of spirits. So Joseph's making the point that actually what the meaning of that that word is, isn't paradise, it is in the world of spirits. So not, not heaven and not hell, right? It's, it's somewhere else. It's not, it's not this Protestant view of hell. It's not this um, Christian view of, of heaven, but in fact, it's somewhere else. And there I will teach you all about it. So Joseph asked that, right? You know, today you'll be with me in paradise. What what Joseph's saying is how that should have been translated is today you're going to be with me in the world of spirits. And that he kind of adds on, then Jesus will say, because then I'll see you there and I'll teach you about what you need to know because you're going to need to be baptized if you decide that you're going to follow me. Um, Peter says, this is again Joseph, Peter says he went and preached to the world of spirits so that they would receive it and could have it answered by proxy by those who live on the earth. So this, this doctrine of the lack of eternality of, of suffering in hell, Joseph sees very much combined with the doctrine of baptism for the dead. Joseph's going to teach that in fact, eternal hellfire doesn't exist, that God has prepared a way for everyone to be saved. And that as soon as they accept Jesus, that that is the, the deciding factor after this life. In um, a discourse that he's going to give uh, in shortly before he dies, April 7th of 1844, he is going to again talk about the fact that there's some people that are going to have to wait. Um, many talk of any baptism not being essential to salvation. But this would lay the foundation of their damnation. So again, Joseph is using the term damnation and hell 
He just means something different by it. When a Christian uses the term damnation, what they mean is someone who is in hell forever. What Joseph means is something that is temporary until that is remedied, even if it is suffering. That they would lay the foundation of their damnation. There has also been remarks made concerning all men being redeemed from hell. Now, notice, Joseph's the one who's teaching that all men will be redeemed from hell. But I say that any man who commits the unpardonable sin must dwell in hell worlds without end. So this idea of, of becoming a son of perdition actually does greatly curtail the idea um, that, that simply everybody is going to be saved. In fact, there are some who will essentially choose to not be saved. Let me quote from Joseph's uh, sermon where he, he's talking about the, this, this, this ability for people to eventually be saved from hellfire. God has made provision for every spirit in the eternal world, and the spirits of our friends should be searched out and saved. Any man that has a friend in eternity can save him if he has not committed the unpardonable sin. He cannot be damned through all eternity. There is a possibility for his escape in a little time. So Joseph is teaching very clearly this idea of actual eternal damnation is not, it's not true. If a man has knowledge, he can be saved. If he has been guilty of great sins, he is punished for it. So it's not a matter of, of thinking, well, I can sin and I'm not going to be punished. If that's what you took out of this and you're thinking, you know what? I've been waiting to put my money down on the gambling lines that Richard's been providing, but I thought it was a sin, which it is, so I haven't done it. Richard? According to, uh, we'd like to refer everyone to President Hinckley's April 2005 conference address. Exactly. It, you are still going to suffer for the sins that you don't repent for. If he is guilty of great sins, he is punished for it, Joseph says. But then he goes on. When he consents to obey the gospel, whether alive or dead, he is saved. His own mind damns him. I have no fear of hellfire that don't exist. No man can commit the unpardonable sin until he receives the Holy Ghost. All will suffer until they obey Christ himself. Even the devil said, I am a savior and can save all. And he rose up in rebellion against God and was cast down. And then here you have it as clear as you possibly can get it. Jesus Christ will save all except the sons of perdition. That is... That's about as clear as you're going to get that the idea of eternal hellfire, it's only those sons of perdition who reject Jesus knowing him. Um, what must a man do to commit the unpardonable sin? They must receive the Holy Ghost, have the heavens opened unto them, and know God, and then sin against him. So he goes on to, you know, this idea that, that salvation is much more broad that suffering is much less eternal is something that provides us, us comfort. Um, he says that we have to console us in relation to our dead. We have the greatest hope in relation to our dead of any people on earth. We have seen them walk worthy on earth. Those who have died in the faith are now in the celestial kingdom of God. They've gone to await the resurrection of the dead to go to the celestial glory. While there is many who die who have to wait many years, 
But I am authorized to say to you, my friends, in the name of the Lord, that you may wait for your friends to come forth to meet you in eternity in the morn of the celestial world. Those saints who have been murdered in the persecution shall triumph in the celestial world, while their murderers shall dwell in torment until they shall pay the utmost farthing. So again, this idea that even people who had murdered the saints, there's an until there, right? That doctrine of of that they're going to suffer forever, well, Joseph's going to say, in fact, that, that suffering has an end. Now, one of the people who really embraces this is, is, is Brigham Young. He is going to teach this doctrine of this salvation being much broader than we generally think it is. Because what is salvation from? It's salvation from eternal hellfire. In that sense, Latter-day Saints are a type of universalist. Now don't, again, don't, don't, don't go around calling yourself a universalist because it means something else nowadays. But we don't believe that people are going to suffer in hell for eternity. And the reason why we're able to believe that is because of the revelation given to Joseph Smith, the multiple revelations, that explain that we aren't just creations of God. We started this whole conversation on the, on the Christian premise that God created us out of nothing however many years ago you, you were born. We don't believe that. We believe that we are all eternal beings that in some way have always existed. So why is it that everyone's going to be saved? Well, everyone's going to be saved because every person that you will ever meet for the remainder of your life, however horribly they have acted in this life, however far down the line of following the, the, the impulses of, of the carnal natural man or under the influences of Satan, every person on this earth at some point in the pre-mortal life accepted Jesus. You all have Christian friends who really, really, really believe that because they've accepted Jesus, they're going to heaven no matter what. In some sense, Latter-day Saints believe something similar. We believe that because we all kept our first estate, because we all accepted Jesus and the Father's plan in the pre-mortal life, that yes, we are going to suffer for our sins, but eventually, everyone who didn't reject that first estate is going to go to heaven, where they will have peace and joy and bliss. Now, we don't want to go to the Telestial Kingdom, so this isn't a podcast about how to get to the Telestial Kingdom. In fact, I wouldn't have to do a podcast on that because you can end up there without any direction. But it is an important understanding of, of Latter-day Saint theology. Again, Latter-day Saints are often accused of believing, oh, you, you, you Mormons think that, that unless you're a Mormon, you're going to hell. Actually, it's the opposite. We literally believe that everyone not only has the chance to be exalted, but that almost everyone, save those who know Jesus personally and reject him, are going to eventually go to heaven. And when Brigham Young talks about this, he says, how is that possible? He says it's through the, the, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
Brigham struggles with the doctrine of, of DNC 76 at first. It is very difficult for him to accept that there is no eternal hell. But once he embraces it, he, he considers it amazing. He says that um, it is a source of much comfort, consolation, and gratification to behold the goodness and long-suffering and the kindness and parental feeling of our Father and our God in preparing the way, providing the means to save the children of men, and not you and I alone, not the Latter-day Saints alone, not those who have the privilege of the first principles of the celestial kingdom exclusively, but to save all, a universal salvation, a universal redemption. When you inquire who will be saved, all will be saved. As Jesus said, speaking to his 12 apostles, except the sons of perdition. If you inquire wherein will they be saved, how will they be saved? In a very few words, I can tell you. They will be saved through the atonement and their good works according to that law that is given them. Will the heathens be saved? Yes. Will those that have died without the law be saved? Those that never even heard of the Savior be saved? And Brigham gives a resounding yes, and he goes on to say that his soul is comforted on the idea that God made a provision to save eventually everyone from hellfire. So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully we answered that a little bit. I'm sure we, we could probably answer it better than we, than we did. Uh, I don't think actually we could answer it better. Well, I'm not saying that it was good. I'm just saying we couldn't oh, have done okay, better. Yeah, our skill level is such that's that, right. We've, yeah, we've maxed out. Yeah, we 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 are we're only like an intermediate level, and you're going to need to find someone more expert. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.